Hi, I'm Mark Brody, and this is the Friday Newscap Podcast. Each week, we review the biggest stories with experts, reporters, and commentators to put the news in perspective. Here's this week's episode. Our ballot initiative enshrines the fundamental right to abortion in our state constitution up to viability, and then thereafter, some really broad protections for pregnant people after that viability point. It's an open primary, so it requires every candidate and every voter to be treated the same. So we eliminate taxpayer funding for any partisan primaries. How does this change voter behavior? If voters know that that envelope with their address, with their name, with their signature, with their cell phone number, can be made available to anyone in the world who requests it, do voters behave differently? The national interests have never been greater when it comes to Arizona, hence why you're seeing all this money. Money means where the battle is going to be happening. And again, Arizona's kind of ground zero the cycle. You see the, the fallacy of that, the inconsistencies? I don't know when it happened because I'm not involved, but it happened under the previous administration. That's so logically fallacious. I'm sorry, I'm not following what's Yeah, I know you're not following And with me to talk about the official launch of a pair of ballot measures, an expected influx of campaign ad money and more are Matthew Benson, former chief of staff to Governor Jan Brewer, now with the firm Veritas. Good morning, Matt. Good morning. And just to clarify, never the chief of staff. Oh, sorry. No, that's okay. I gave you a promotion there by accident. I appreciate that. Okay. You you could have been. You could have done. You could have done the job. Also joined by former state lawmaker Aaron Lieberman. Good morning to you, Aaron. Great to be here. Thanks for having I, me. I can't give you a motion. It is what it, the people have spoken. One per, one per show, unfortunately. So, Aaron, let me start with you about the uh, effort that has been launched this week. Two, two uh, campaign ballot measures uh, launched this week. The first one uh, deals with uh, campaigns and basically open primaries is what, what they're calling it. It's changing the way we elect candidates. They have to collect, both of them have to collect 300 some odd thousand signatures, more than that, to, to appear on the ballot uh, they have to collect them by by July. I'm curious what you make of what this group ultimately came up with, because this is an issue that's sort of been percolating for quite a while. Yeah, I, I think this is a huge deal and honestly a, a generational chance for us to get some sanity back into our politics. Uh, I've been trying to get this brought up in our previous newscast here because I think this is so important for people to focus on. Everyone asks, like, why are our politics so broken in Arizona? And I remember uh, when she was in the Senate, Heather Carter and I did a class at ASU and she had everybody stand up and basically went through the exercise in 20 of our 30 legislative districts that are either dominated by Democrats or dominated by Republicans. With 40 kids in the class, she went through, okay, you're, you know, you're in the non-dominant group in this legislative district, da, da, da. Then she got down to you're the primary voter. And she made the point that two of those 40 kids basically decide who ends up on the primary ballot. And it's a foregone conclusion that that candidate is going to win. So um, that's why we're in the mess that we are in. The more partisan you are, the more you appeal to that very small sliver of August primary voters. Um, that's where we why we get here. And this is our chance to break out of it and maybe our one chance to break out of it by actually having these open primaries that will allow more moderate, more pragmatic candidates to get to the ballot. And uh, I just hope, you know, everybody can get behind this thing because it is a big, big opportunity for Arizona. Matt, do you think this, if it passes, if it makes the ballot, if it passes, passes, does this open up competition in legislative districts that currently don't have a ton of competition? Theoretically. And I I always caution about unintended consequences. And, you know, I think Arizona has been an example that every time we've we've introduced reforms to our election processes, 
you know, clean elections and public funding for some for candidates who participated in that. And there was the idea way back when, and I'm old enough to remember when this came about, the idea that this is going to be what brings moderation and more competition to our elections. And, and it didn't. Uh, and in fact, it resulted in some of the most extreme candidates who could never raise five cents on their own in the marketplace getting a, a check from the state and suddenly they're in the legislature. So, you know, I, we could see something similar this time around with this. We don't know. In certainly in other places where ranked uh, choice voting has occurred, sometimes what you end up with is in November on the general election ballot, you have a choice of two candidates of the same party. And so in some cases, mm. it can end up freezing out uh, political choice. So uh, we just need to be cautious about these things. Aaron, I'm curious what you make of the fact that the final, like once the primary is done, the, like how candidates move on to the general election would ultimately be decided under this proposal by the legislature and governor. Is that like, is that kind of putting the, the having the fox guard the hen house here? Look, all, always nerve wracking when you when you get elected politicians involved, for sure. But I, I think the reality is, is like we got to try something different here. You know what I mean? I, I don't know anybody who's excited about uh, the way Arizona politics has been happening from an elective perspective over the course of the last decade. And what I hear again and again from people, the, literally the biggest group are the people in the middle. They're basically excluded unless they request a uh, primary ballot. If, if you're the independent or unaffiliated, no party designated, whatever you want to call it. They do so at very, very low levels. And so the, the single biggest voting block, and they're quite diverse, you can't, you can't make assumptions about them, but they're basically left out of the most important vote, which is choosing who's on that uh, final ballot. And that's why I think this is such an important reform focused on that primary ballot. And if I can just quibble a little bit with, with Aaron on, he says nobody in Arizona is excited about how elections have been going in the state. Actually, I, I think who's going to fight against this the hardest are the Republican and the Democratic parties in this state, in this state, and and elected lawmakers, because this is the last thing they they want. They want to keep the current process. They want to keep the status quo. They don't want uh, independents, for example, voting in a Republican uh, primary or a Democrat primary. They want they want to keep it as it is because what they've got right now is your hardest right and your hardest left candidates getting through. And that's what the base supports. So it's going to be a very interesting I, I, election at the ballot. I, I, agree, I agree with you on that, Matt. And, and that, you know, the, the reality is that that's a small fraction of Arizonans. And that's why, we, you know, certainly if this thing gets on the ballot, it will win. I will bet dollars to donuts right now on that. And the but and I, I also I think a good axiom in politics is if people on the far left and the far right are mad at you, you're making good progress. You're you're on to something. And I think this passes that test. Well, I'm curious, Matt, what you said about how the parties don't necessarily want independents voting in their primaries. Independents, of course, already can. They just have to request a particular party's ballot. Do you think that this would increase participation in primaries among independents if they if they just get a ballot, for example, if they're on the early voting list or if they can they know they can just go vote in person? Without a doubt. Without a doubt, because currently the, the state puts this obstacle in front of independents who want to participate in a primary, even if, if, even if they're on the early voting list, they have to state what ballot they want to get, whether it's Republican right. or Democrat. It's not just mailed to them automatically. If this passes, that goes away. Everybody will get a ballot. And I don't think independents will ever participate in a primary at the rate that registered party, you know, Republicans or Democrats do, but it certainly will increase their participation.
All right, Matt, let me ask you about the other big initiative that was launched this week to collect signatures. This one uh, deals with abortion access called Arizona for Abortion Access. This is another one that had sort of been in the works for a while. There was some talk maybe last year that that supporters would try to put something quickly on the ballot in the wake of the Dobbs ruling that undid Roe v. Wade. They seem to have done a good amount of focus groups to try to find language that some majority of Arizonans would be okay with. Do you think they succeeded in that now that we know exactly what they're what they're proposing? Well, let, let's start with what they're proposing. Okay, so they, they want to enshrine in the Constitution, the Arizona Constitution, protections legalizing abortion in this state up to the point of viability, which is typically about 23 to 24 weeks of pregnancy. Where it gets interesting and where I think they have a vulnerability is they go further than that, saying beyond the point of viability, all the way up to, to birth, basically, uh, if a woman finds a healthcare professional who will state that it's in her physical or mental interest to get that abortion, then she can get that abortion long after 24 weeks, for example. And I think that you will find opponents who say that is well outside the mainstream. Uh, this gets into, you know, abortion on demand, uh, right up, you know, late-term abortion, and and concepts, frankly, that I think are much less popular with the electorate than, you know, where we are currently, where currently the state has a 15-week prohibition on abortion. This would take it to 23 weeks, 24 weeks. So I, I think the measure, the, the question is whether proponents, including Planned Parenthood of Arizona, went too far with that, with that exemption. Aaron, do you think proponents went too far? You know, we'll see. I, I think uh, if the if the headline is around that twenty three week number, that's what most we lived with. That was the effectively the law in Arizona. That that reasonable framework uh, under Roe v. Wade. That's where overwhelming majority of Arizonans are. I, I think Matt makes a reasonable point. Can they pick out something and and try to uh, make a big uh, a big case about that to to stir up trouble on the other side? You know, I, to me, the sooner we can get to something that's broadly supported by a majority of Arizonans, the better on this. It's not where we're at right now, um, which what was passed by the legislature is more restrictive than what Arizonans want. And I, I just have a simple guiding light. I like women to be able to make their own health care choices and, frankly, get the government out of the decisions that should be happening between a woman and their doctor. Aaron, would it be your expectation that supporters will need to defend the initiative against the kinds of things that Matt was talking about? Not so much the the viability standard, but sort of what goes beyond that? Yeah. Look, uh, you know, again, it's sad that politics interfere and stuff like this, but that's the reality when you're sending something to the ballot. And it just gets into, into how you frame the question. You know, I, I stand on the side of let's let women make their own health care choices. That's why we have doctors. That's why I have women there in a room. Let let them do certainly what's in the best interest of women. Other people will paint it differently. And, you know, that's just the reality. Ultimately, Arizonans are going to have to make a decision. I do believe we've gone too far and that this is a step in the in the right direction in terms of getting back to, to just where majorities, and by the way, including lots of Republican voters are. And I mean, it, it's been interesting as you've seen issues like this in very conservative states go to the ballot and overwhelmingly the support of the the regular elected people has been on the side of the, the regular voters has been on the side of ensuring a woman's right to choose. Matt, let's for sake of argument, assume that both of these measures make the ballot next year. What does that do for turnout and the kinds of voters who turn out, do you think, if, if they're both on the ballot? Yeah, I, I'm not sure that the uh, Election Reform Act changes turnout significantly. Th- there's no question the abortion one will, will impact turnout. And, and I expect in every election where we've had that sort of measure on the ballot in recent years following Dobbs, it has it has juiced uh, Democrat progressed turnout, turnout among women. 
So I would expect to see the same thing here. But th this is going to be a messaging war. I, I expect this will be the most expensive ballot measure in state history, tens of millions of dollars. And it's just going to come down to whether we're, whether we're arguing about late-term abortion, which would favor opponents, or whether we're arguing about, for example, the current state law on abortion in this state does not provide an exemption uh, for rape or incest. Mm -hmm. If we're talking about that in the, in the context of this election, then uh, certainly supporters, Planned Parenthood, and the, and the rest will, will be successful. I, I think one of the things people don't, uh, the, the, you know, Joe Arizona doesn't focus on enough is that there's a big difference between our midterm elections and our presidential elections in terms of who turns out to vote pretty consistently. Huge advantage, as much as six points for Republicans in those midterm elections. This is looking on like they'll be on a presidential ballot where it's a much more even fight. If it then turns out even more people, some of our low turnout, low propensity Dems, um, it really could actually change the balance all the way up the ticket. And, and you know, this could easily be what get, you know, gets uh, President Biden um, reelected here in Arizona. Hmm. Matt, let me start with you about a, a report that came out this week from the company Ad Impact said $820 million will be spent on campaign ads in Arizona next year. You mentioned that you thought the abortion one would be the uh, most expensive uh, ballot measure we've seen. Arizona will be number two in the country in terms of ad money spent here. So is this basically like don't go to your mailbox, don't turn on your TV, like just hide in the corner, like looking at your phone for the next year? Pretty much. And, and actually... Uh you can't escape it because whether you're on streaming or Hulu or like the ads will find you. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. Uh, there's a lot of folks paid to make sure that they can find every voter and, and they will. And none of this is a surprise, by the way. Arizona is arguably the top battleground state in the country from a presidential standpoint. We'll have a very closely and very tightly fought uh, U.S. Senate race. Mm -hmm. And so all eyes will be here. Aaron, what do you think? Is this, a, I mean, I guess in some ways it's a good sign that, you know, our votes really matter and that Arizona is competitive. But on the other side, gosh, those ads can be really annoying. Look, it's a great time to be a TV station owner yeah. in yeah. Arizona <laughs> over this last decade. You're just sitting there, you know, minting money. Uh, it, I find it super frustrating. I, I, you know, I'm pretty much only on TV for live sports and I wish we could get a uh, political ad free sports thing going so we could at least all, you know, focus on the D backs and, and whatever it is we're. We're watching uh, the, the the stunning number to me. I was like, wow, we're, we're number two's number one. It was California with 40 million people. I mean, it's just crazy to think about. Their at, media at, markets are much more expensive than, I mean, L.A. and San Francisco. Well, and they have expensive. so many more people. They had a yeah. per vote calculation in there, which I found fascinating. We were actually second barely to Nevada in that. But it was two hundred and fifty dollars per vote being spent wow. here in Arizona. That's the estimate for, you know, each per voter, basically. And I just thought, wouldn't we all take that deal if you could get a $250 check? You didn't have to. Have, like, I'd fill out the most detailed survey. I'd tell you exactly what I was thinking. Give me the money. Let me, you know, cast my ballot and, and get off my television screen and get off my phone. I think we'd all be a lot happier. The, one of the things I do say I love about Arizona, it's very easy to live in bubbles. It's very easy to live in. And I've lived in some of them. And back east where it seems like 99.9% .9 of people are all Democrats or in some of these deep red states where you're really never hearing the other side. You're hearing the other side here in Arizona, and it's where America is. I mean, it's reality. It's not like our presidential elections are, you know, 730 affairs. 
They're right down the middle. The state is right down the middle. That's why I think it's an exciting time to be in Arizona right now. But boy, can it get frustrating when the, when the TV's on. Yeah, we'll see how you feel during uh, next baseball season when all those ads are on. Matt, some of the, the ads we might be uh, seeing on TV or getting in our mailbox could be from a former state lawmaker, Michelle Eugenti Rita. She announced this week she's running for Maricopa County Board of Supervisors against uh, Thomas Galvin. Was this a surprise that she decided to jump in at this point? No, not at all. This has been basically the least closely kept secret in Arizona politics. Okay. So I think Supervisor Galvin was expecting he was going to get a, a tough challenge, and, and he's got one. This will be a very interesting race, along with these other uh, county races. There, Maricopa County uh, is no surprise, kind of ground zero. The MAGA right is, uh, is zeroing in on each of those supervisors and the county attorney and the county recorder. And the outcome of those races is going to have ramifications uh, for years to come for Arizona, for for Maricopa County elections. And as we've seen, uh, what happens in Maricopa County doesn't just stay in Maricopa County. It has implications for the entire country when it comes to these elections. How do you I mean, obviously, we're extraordinarily early in this race, but how do you see that primary shaping up? Well, I, I think that uh, Supervisor Galvin is going to have the, the support of the business community. I think he'll be very well funded. Uh, I think a, a lot of mainstream Republicans will be with him. Uh, but is that enough? Is that going to be enough in a primary where the, the hard right uh, and, and MAGA and Trump voters make up such a large, large portion of the primary electorate? Uh, it's going to be a very interesting challenge. Aaron, how much attention do you think with everything else going on? I mean, county supervisors races tend to be, yeah, they get a little bit of attention, but not a ton. Do you think that will be different this year? Well, you know, I, I served in the legislature with uh, Michelle, and she's pretty good at getting attention in my uh, my observation. She uh, She's very an interesting candidate. I, you know, she, a lot of these MAGA Republicans, in my experience, honestly, you listen to them and they, it doesn't make a lot of sense what they're saying. She's not like that. I mean, she is incredibly articulate. She has a very clear point of view. She's actually funny. She can get out there and kind of carry a room. Um, when Republicans and Republicans are fighting like this, most Democrats, we just get the popcorn and sit there and kind of watch them duke it out because it's it's never good. It's either going to pull him to the right to try to get through the primary. Uh, it's never good for the, the, the Republican candidates. Mm-hmm. It's good for the Democratic candidates. But but I have to say, you know, uh, then Senator Gentry Reader, you never knew exactly what she'd come up with. She was a good advocate for getting birth control on the, you know, the options for, for women. Um, so she's not your typical MAGA Republican in my experience. And it'll be really interesting to see. Um, it's always hard to break through on those races. I mean, to your point, super sleepy, even though there's billions of dollars at stake in terms of how the county spends their money. But Michelle is a true believer and she's passionate and she's a hard worker. And it'll, it'll be interesting to see how it all nets out. We just have a few minutes left. And I want to ask you guys about a court hearing that happened yesterday. It's going to continue on Monday. This is uh, Carrie Lake's effort uh, to get access to early ballot envelopes to be able to compare signatures. And the question here is really whether those envelopes are public records or not, right? Whether they are accessible to anybody who asked for them or if they are uh, protected by election laws, which in for many documents contain a, a level of secrecy here. Obviously, Matt, we're basically halfway through this hearing, but I'm curious, like what you make of this? It's kind of an interesting question, right? Like, are these envelopes public? Can anybody take a look at them or not? Yeah, Arizona has a very strong public records law that basically, uh, unless stated otherwise, government documents are are, are deemed public records, and uh, and that's something that uh, you know that Carrie Lake and her team are are trying to take advantage of and getting a hold of all of these envelopes. 
Uh, and you know, ostensibly, if they get all the envelopes, then they're going to do their own analysis on those signatures and try to claim, I'm sure, that a good many of them were in fact fraudulent or not legitimate or, or just you know carry on the message that they've had for the last uh, nine months here. Uh, and so you know, in the county and, and, and Steve and Richard are saying that is going to lead to harassment of voters. It's going to lead to disenfranchisement as people uh, decide not to vote in the future because they don't want to have their signature out there and out and about. And so I think there are a lot of there's a lot at stake with this with this issue. Aaron, what do you, I mean, it's, it's, I'm curious what you make of the question about whether these are and should be considered public records or whether, you know, people's signatures with their names and address and everything else on them should be held back. I, I, and anything, my guiding light is if you just went to the average person, what would they say? The average person doesn't want their cell phone number and their uh, signature out in the, in the public domain. And you would hope if we needed to, the legislature, somebody could get together and kind of clarify that it could definitely have a chilling effect. I've often voted by mail here in Arizona, and it's literally your cell phone number, especially when we see the type of harassment that happened to so many innocent people who were just casting a ballot. You know, I, I think if you take one step back, it's very clear to me that Carrie Lake is winning the sorest loser reality competition at this point. I mean, it is just absolutely incredible about her refusal to just admit you lost, you know, deal with it and and move on. And, you know, I, I just personally think she's continuing to do more and more damage to whatever her brand was at some point as, you know, a person who could potentially think about winning statewide. And, you know, she didn't lose by that many votes, but just continuing to be this crybaby. Uh, I don't think it looks good for her. And I, I personally just wish this whole thing would go away and we start moving on to our next election. Well, Matt, you mentioned how Michelle Ugenti Arita running was the least well-kept secret in Arizona politics. Maybe that would be number two, <laughs> besides uh, be, after the fact that Carrie Lake is thinking about a run uh, for U.S. Senate. Another report this week that next month uh, she will she will make that announcement formal. Assuming that that is true, like how do all these ongoing lawsuits play into that? I mean, they they won't, all won't be finalized in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I think those elections will just continue to roll on and, and or I mean, the, the, the election, the, the, the challenges, the yeah. lawsuits will roll on. But I mean, they're not going anywhere. And I, I suspect that Carrie Lake knows better than anyone that these these challenges are not going anywhere. And they're more frankly about raising money and continuing to just make the argument that she got cheated somehow uh, than anything else. And, you know, uh, she'll be formidable in a Republican primary and and I, I think she'll have uh, difficulty in a, in a general election environment. It's the same kind of thing as what Aaron was talking about in terms of, uh, you know, when when sort of the far right candidates make it to the general, they don't, at least recent history in Arizona, they don't necessarily do so well. Yeah. And I think Carrie Lake more than more than any anyone else. And, you know, you've seen Abe Hamaday and some of these other candidates will be running again this year also in, in 2024. But I think Carrie Lake more than any of their others has really damaged her her viability with mainstream general election voters. The MAGA electorate loves her, but it takes more than them to to win a, a an election, a general election in Arizona. All right, we'll have to leave it there. That is Matthew Benson with Veritas, also former state lawmaker Aaron Lieberman. Guys, thanks for coming in. Thanks for the conversation. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Mark. You've been listening to the Friday Newscap from KJZZ's The Show. It's an original podcast recapping the week's biggest stories with experts, commentators, and reporters. You can get the full show podcast at podcast.kjzz.org. I'm Mark Brody. Thanks for listening.